It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Robo Report Exiles podcast. My name is Rich Spit. I'm in Bethesda in northwest Wales and I'm joined today on the podcast by John Stacey in Lincoln, Niall Bromley, who is down in Nice in France, and Michael Dunn, who's over the Irish Sea from me in Dublin. So just first of all, a bit about the podcast. This podcast is here to give voice to those Sunderland fans like us who don't live in the northeast of England, who don't live in Sunderland. A bit about our lives, our experiences, our time as Sunderland fans and how we uh, how we get to games, how we watch games, how we indoctrinate our kids into the tradition of support in Sunderland. So without further ado, we'll turn to John Stacey in Lincoln. You're right there, John. Hello, Rich. Yeah, good. Thanks, you. I'm not so bad at all. I was at Burnley last night and I'll talk a bit more about that later on, but a bit of a hoarse voice. Uh, Other than that, very happy man. Yeah, not surprised, not surprised. So, John, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, obviously, you're over there in, in Lincoln. How come you're there and you're a Sunderland fan? Yeah, so moved to Lincoln when I was about seven or eight. Um, the early 90s, but I'm originally from Wall's End. Um, cue the abuse on Twitter, but I still have a bit of an accent. It's just sort of lingering on. I was there as a lad with my family. My dad was a, a Sunderland fan all of his life. Didn't really give me and my brother a choice, obviously. And uh, we, we started going to games, went to Roker Park and fell in love. I mean, it's sort of, I'm sure anybody listening to this will know exactly the feeling you get when you watch Sunderland. You kind of get stuck with them. So we moved down to Lincoln and we are, we've just literally sort of tried to carry on going to games. We had season tickets when I was a lad growing up. So we'd travel up to the games, Stadium of Light when it opened and things like that. And, uh, and yeah, just tried to keep up with it all. I don't get to as many games as I'd like anymore. Probably get to about between five to ten a year. But obviously now we're in League One. It's slightly easier with some of the away games and things like that that are more local to Lincoln. But um, apart from that, tried to get to a handful of home games as well. And uh, yeah, we've been I've been indoctrinating locals here and there. Quite a few in uh, in Lincoln. I think uh, Danny Roberts, who's part of the local report crew, is also in Lincoln, and a few others. And yeah, it's quite a common thing, actually. Believe it or not, there's, there's lots out of the woodwork in the Lincoln and Lincolnshire area, and trying to sort of connect everybody a bit better. And this Exiles pod will hopefully help a bit more with that. But Lincoln's nice. It's all right. We get around, don't we, Sunderland fans? Yeah. Everywhere you go. What games have you been to this season? Or? You know what? I'm a bit depressed because I haven't been to any this season, but I'm going to Peterborough on Saturday, so I can't wait for that. If this pod goes out before Saturday, I'm excited about it. But yeah, 
I haven't been to any this season. I normally go to a few friendlies, but I just haven't had the chance. I've, I've got a new a, a baby who's nearly one, bless her, and it's just been trickier to get away to games. But I've uh, last season I got to quite a few quite early, and then I had a massive stint where I couldn't go. And then towards the end of the season I went to quite a few. So there's a bit of a bit of a roller coaster there. I'm hoping to be a bit more consistent this year. I've planned out a few pretty much across the whole season. I've got one or two a quarter should we say so I've got kind of like a game a month potentially here and there with a few months missing a few games so I'm hoping to get up to 10 games this season but we'll see what the misses allows we'll see what money allows and we'll go from there really I think that's a lot of people's experiences isn't it of being outside of the northeast is that you get you get to games when you can I mean going down into league one for me living in north wales it actually opened up probably more games than we'd had in previous years. You got Peterborough on your doorstep, and uh, I bet you that's going to be a great game at the weekend. Actually, yeah, we went we went to Peterborough last year. Last season, we went to Peterborough game, and it was brilliant. And it's a relatively good experience there. It's not a massive ground, but it's a decent place to go, and it's not too far away. And and I agree, you know, moving away, it's more trickier to get to games, obviously, anyway. But we're not actually that far away in Lincoln, sort of two two and a half hours if you put your foot down. And uh, trains aren't so bad, but you do have to go through mag country to get there, obviously. But I guess the sort of more more of a downside is the fact that a season ticket, when you're miles away, is trickier to do every week, if you know what I mean. So uh, I, I watch all the games. I try and get the streams. I try and get, you know, the legal ways of watching the, the game, of course. Uh, hopefully Charlie's not Absolutely. listening but yeah watch as much as I can catch the highlights and and yeah just try and uh, the game last night was, was, it was annoying it wasn't on the stream but I did catch the highlights just try and get as many 3pms as I can No, I think that's that's something they've got to sort out because people people were really clamming to watch that match last night and the fact that there was no screen there was obviously there was obviously cameras there Sky Sports News were putting the goals up and incidents up throughout the game but it was a shame that there was nothing sorted out for fans to be able to watch it online legally and, and follow what was a really good game. John, your uh, experiences of, of originally being from the, the region and then moving away are a little similar to mine and a bit similar to Niles as well. We've got Niall Bromley over there in uh, Nice in France. Are you still with us now? I am. How are you doing? You all right? I'm not so bad, not so bad at all. The voice will hold out for this recording, I'm sure. I was screaming her head off last night. So, Niall, you're you're obviously through your accent a northeastern lad. So, where are you from originally? Now, you end up in Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm from Blythe, as many people know, and always try and uh, take the make out of. Basically, when I was when I was a child, uh, my dad lived all over when he was growing up. My granddad was on the docks, so my dad never actually had uh, a team. Um, well, Rangers is his team, but he, he just travelled around. He used to go to Preston a lot. And he moved uh, up north with my granddad. They went. To, they moved to Ashton, um, and then he eventually moved to Blythe. And when I was young, growing up, he was trying to brainwash me into football, which is what a dad tries to do with his son. But you couldn't get it in Newcastle at the time. It was when you know the glory days of Kevin Keegan and that for them. So you couldn't get in. So he took us to Sunderland, and I went to the first ever game at the Stadium of Light against Ajax, which was nil nil. So I don't know how I fell in love with it. Not not a clue because apparently it was a terrible game. But yeah, I went to that, and then that was it. Um, Apparently, like he says, that the next day he asked us who my team was and I said something. And then after that, he took us to the Reading game, which I think was the season after. I don't know why it took so long, but yeah, he took us to uh, that game, the 1-4-2. And we were sitting like row five in the south stand right behind the goal. 
and I remember the goals going in and just the feeling and I think that was it really and um, yeah I had a season ticket for six years and then after that just um, six years ago uh, I got the opportunity to, to go work abroad uh, and I took it and I've I've been living abroad ever since so it's a bit strange I mean when I come home every winter so I come home sort of back end of October early November and I go back in January so I get about nine, ten games a season, depending on how many home games I have. Uh, so last year I went every game when I was at home, which was great. Yeah, so I, I managed to go to to quite a lot, and obviously I watch the streams. Obviously, with us being over here, I don't have to be in Alaska or Germany or anywhere like that. I can just be in in France, so I get the games six pound a pop, but. More often than not, it's worth paying the money, especially at the minute anyway. So obviously love the club and simple as that, really. And uh, it's under my skin and yeah. So you'd be trying to get to the uh, the, the Bolton match on Boxing Day then? Boxing Day yeah. was always a, a big one for me, when, when especially when I was at uni and coming home uh, to my mum and dad's at Christmas. The Boxing Day match was great. So it's, it's good that's going ahead. Yeah, absolutely over the moon when I seen that news last night because I've never, I don't think I've missed a Boxing Day match for 15 years or so, something like that. Like, a, you know, I make a, a point of going and it's an all day piss up really, isn't it? And it's great. I'm delighted that we've got that boating game. I mean, imagine we didn't, imagine we didn't have a Boxing Day game at all. Like, even away from home, I get a little bit depressed when we're away from home on Boxing Day, but to, to not have a game at all, it would have been horrible. Like, so I'm delighted that they managed to pull something off. And yes, it's it's going to be good. I mean, the, the game against Bury was one that I was going to be going to, and that that's been cancelled, hasn't it? On the that was on the 21st uh, of December. So we are going to have a little bit of a winter break. Might actually stand us in good stead later on in the season, to be frank. But you've got that same tradition that I had as well. A couple of good mates. She's got Weatherspoons in town, and then over to the match, and then uh, end up either in the boarding or in the stables, every boxing day. Yeah, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I remember last year when we played Bradford because uh, my brother Connor and only go with him, but my dad was at work so he couldn't come. And Connor had his season ticket seat, so I had to sit on my own up in the, uh, the upper tier and I had to sit on my own up there by myself just, you know, watching McGeady score and watching Bradford getting one, which was blatantly over the line, cleared off in the last minute, so... It's a bit strange going to a game by yourself. I don't know if you've done it before, but it's, uh, it's not for me. Like I did it for the first time last night. For the first time I can remember for a long time. I think I went to a pre-season friendly against Hull way back. That's only because I lived around the corner at the time in Hull. That away game yesterday was probably the first one I've been to without either without my dad or without one of my mates or without my little boy. And it was, it was quite fun, actually. It's a good thing to go and do on your own, just... A bit mad, especially when you haven't got your dad or your little boy to kind of <laughs> <laughs> not embarrass yeah. yourself in front of. Basically, you no, know I I quite enjoyed it to be fair. But um, it's it's fantastic that that, that game's going ahead, and and I mean, good on Bolton losing them would have been a a real shock. I mean, ex Premier League team, and, and you know they're not a little club, are they? So I'm I'm glad that they're being rescued, and and well, who knows what's going to happen with Bury? We'll see, won't we? But it looks like they're done and dusted. So. Um, we move on to uh, Michael Dunn over there in uh, Dublin, probably uh, the closest out of all the exiles to where I live. How are you, Michael? All right, mate. How are you? All good? I'm not so bad. Not so bad. So, Michael, how did you come to uh, support Sunderland? We've got a, quite a few Irish fans. There's always a contingent. There's quite a big supporters branch over there. So uh, what's your story, mate? Yeah, well, obviously growing up in Ireland and Dublin especially, 
most people here supporting Liverpool, Man United, Celtic. So supporting Sunderland was a bit bit out of the ordinary growing up, but I got into it because of my dad growing up. I basically had no choice. Yeah, he wouldn't let me support anyone else, to be honest. So he was a big Charlie Hurley fan growing up. So I think the earliest picture that he has of me is he's kitted out in that. Is it the 1999 Reg Verity jersey? And uh, basically since then, I've been going over regularly enough. We had season tickets there for probably six, seven years uh, under Roy Keane. Some of those games were just amazing, like the atmosphere. It was unreal at some of those matches. Um, basically just caught the bug. Essentially, yeah, I had no choice but to keep going. So was that coming over like on the ferry or on the plane? Or how, how did you manage to keep a season ticket going? Well, there was regular flights to Newcastle when uh, when Roy Keane was there. You know, Michael O'Leary saw there was a, a book to be made there. So he had like flights on, day trip flights from over to Newcastle and back that night. Um, so we went over, I think I went over most seasons 10 or 11 times. Um, but then after Keane left, the, the fans started to fade away. So it got a little bit harder and a little bit more expensive to go over. But even after that, under Bruce, Sprage, all those, those lads, uh, the Canyo. Oh, yeah, we went over five, six times still. But then we had um, the lean time under Moyes. And to be honest, I only went a couple of times then. I, I, it was just depressing under him. It wasn't great, was it? It wasn't great at all. And I think a lot of us have, well, we're in the process of rediscovering our our love of football, really, from those miserable, miserable couple of years, if not longer. Certainly, certainly my experience, I, I was still trying to get to as many games as I could, but I wasn't going out my way to go to uh, away games, etc. And I think that was the general feeling around the club. And it's it's fantastic that we've got a little bit of impetus back and, and just a bit of a team that we can enjoy watching, even if they're not always as successful as we want them to be, especially last season. Still better than, than watching dour football and, and a manager who doesn't want, look like he want to be there, particularly in Moyes' case. Fantastic that like, we have so many Irish fans. Do you get over, do you get like to meet up with the other lads and lasses in Dublin and the area? Yeah, so basically like what happened last year was that I was going, starting to go over. Um, started last year, I was starting to go over games on my own a little bit, just as you were talking about earlier on, because I actually knew no Sunderland fans other than my dad in Ireland. And my dad was probably getting a little bit fed up of going over because... I think he, he got sick of all the, the lean years. So I was I still had all the, the youthful enthusiasm to go over. Start last season I was going over on my own quite a bit, but then I just I kind of just said to myself I might start start up the um the Irish supporters branch again and see if there's any lads around. And to be fair, the response has been class. Like so I was I was at the Rochdale game with a few lads from Cork and Dublin. Uh, I was there on Saturday again at Wimbledon, but I think sometimes last year we had 14, 15 lads coming over to games, especially those games in Wembley. Uh, so the response has been great. Then, like, And then we've been meeting up regularly enough in Dublin. I think we, we met up for that Pompey game a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we think we had 15 or 16 lads there again, which is, like, it's for, for Sunderland, it's, for Sunderland, it's not bad numbers, to be fair, like, because we won't be the biggest over here. So it's still great, like, just to go with a few lads, have a few points, watch the matches, and then go over to a few games together. It's, it's actually perfect like that's great and i mean i've thought about trying to get the, the the welsh branch going supposedly there are more fans in north wales than there are in south wales which is surprising because most people are down in south wales and it's something something i might i might pursue i think over the next few uh weeks and months i mean your your experience shows that it can be done and it's a lot easier for us to just you know get in a, in a couple of cars and a minibus 
and get airplanes and, and ferries over the games. So uh, inspirational, mate. Inspirational. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I think I'll probably lead into talking a little bit. But my experience, I mean, I'm originally from Sunderland, as I think I've still got just about got an accent. Maybe uh, others are a better place to, to judge that than me. But uh, originally from Sunderland, I grew up in Silksworth School and then Farringdon. So I'm like South Sunderland lad. Went to Roper Park for the first time, I think, when I was five, when we were last in the third tier. My dad uh, got me in, I think, at half time for nothing at a game against Hull when I was about five. I can just sketchily remember it. But then from like when I was eight, nine, ten year old, I was going Roper Park every week. Probably the game that hooked me in and I knew I loved the club was the Chelsea quarterfinal in the FA Cup. That cup run was something that I'll always treasure. Then I moved away to uni and didn't really ever move back permanently to Sunderland and then met a, met a lovely lass from North Wales, uh, moved down here, got married and have uh, two kids, the, uh, the eldest of which uh, is not particularly interested in football, he's more of a cyclist. And the youngest is absolutely football mad. Really, it's been having him around and wanting to go to games and trying to indoctrinate him into the club and keep him out of the clutches of Liverpool, who are the dominant force around here in terms of fans, has become a little bit of a mission over the last year or so. So I took him to Shrewsbury for the first for his first ever game, which was a fantastic place to go for an away game. We went to see him like three times together. Went to Wembley twice. And and he's currently at the uh, the beacon of light doing a, a three day soccer camp while we're on a little bit of a break from him and he's staying with his his nana and granddad up in Sunderland. So it was actually um, the experience of of trying to get my little lad involved in and sport in Sunderland that inspired me originally to start a little podcast called Macam Exiles. And then as Brett mentioned in in last week's uh, Exiles pod, the Rupert Rapport lads advertised for, for people to get involved with their podcasts and from that I got in touch with them and we put this this team of 12 lads from around around Britain and the rest of Europe together for this pod. Um, as I was talking about earlier, I was at Burnley last night for my first ever game on my own. I uh, Got out of work at half past four, jumped in the car, and it was two and a half hours from me, from Columbia, where I worked, up to Burnley, um, skirted around the traffic and got there in plenty of time. And it was a great game. First thing I saw when I got there was the team sheet, and I was interested uh, to know from, from the other lads what you thought when you first saw it last night with the eight changes. Did you think that we were in with uh, with a chance? If I'm being brutally honest, right, when I seen Flanagan and Baldwin starting at the back, I was thinking sixes and sevens. I'm not even lying. I looked at their team sheet and I know Vidra's been on a bit of a, he's having a bit of a tough time over there, isn't he? And I thought the amount of goals he scores in the championship when he was at West Brom, when he was at Derby, uh, Watford as well, I think in the championship, I thought he's going to bag some goals to make Jay Rodriguez as well. I really did. And when the first goal went in, I mean, I was kind of, I was sitting there thinking, I'm not even going to check the score. That's, you know, we're going to get hammered. So, yeah, to be honest, we all knew that the team sheet was going to be like that. Uh, I think Jack Ross had said in his interviews before the game that it was going to be a team which was competitive, but it wasn't going to be, you know, it, it was going to have changes in it. Chris Maguire said the same thing when he was interviewed that it's, he said it was a bonus game. 
So, you know, we knew it was going to be changes, but now it's, um, I'm as shocked as anybody to see, well, the performance and obviously the result in the end. And I think it's going to give Jack Ross one hell of a headache. It really is. It's a good headache to have, though, um, especially as a fan, as us watching on, you know, it's brilliant. But yeah, I mean, obviously you're at the game, Rich, so you, I mean, I haven't seen the 90 minutes, but from what I've read and what I've heard, apparently Baldwin and Flanagan headed every single ball. Well, it was a shaky start, and and their goal, I think, well, it exposed that their League One centre backs got drawn to the ball. Somebody didn't track. I think it might have been even been Hume didn't track uh, Rodriguez back and cover, and it looked at that point like they would fall apart. And I was, I have to say, I was very worried. But through the game, I think the big turning point for me in the, in that match was after they'd scored the first and they were putting us under pressure and we looked like we might crumble. And then, I don't know if you've seen the highlights of it, when they hit the post twice, um, was it Lennon missed an open goal? That turned the game. And that, I think, gave them a, a bit of a, a kick up the, the backside. And, uh, and from then on in, they grew with confidence. And in the second half, they were dominant. I mean, they threw on, they threw on wood towards the end and he, he caused them trouble. You know, he he got in and about. He's a quality player, but they dealt with it, and they look they look good. Flanagan was probably the more confident of the two, but he's played more often recently. I guess I thought McLaughlin as well worked well at right back. It seems his natural position. He was not remarkable, which is what you want from your right back, I guess, when you're playing the four four two. He didn't really have to bomb forward, but I'm sure he pinged one out from right back down to left wing, which was a quality ball. I had to double check with the lad standing next to me that he'd actually kicked it and it wasn't someone else. Yeah, it was it was a really good performance by them too. The highlights, John, have you seen anything? Yeah, I saw the highlights today. Uh, to be honest, I echo everything you've both been saying. From the looks of what had happened, there was there was definitely some Benny Hill moments from Flanagan and Baldwin and that was expected looking at the team sheet. But I think um, definitely the hitting the post twice definitely was a stroke of luck that we're not we don't normally get as Sunderland fans. I think everybody will agree that a lot of the times when we need a bit of luck, especially last season, second half of last season, just didn't seem to go our way, refs against us, etc. Yeah, seeing that was quite refreshing, but more than anything, like you say, the actual seeing it and then responding to it was the big thing. You know, we've talked a lot and I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of Sunderland fans are thinking the same, but when we need a response, we don't often get it. The attitudes are, are, are poor and people's heads are down and, it was when I saw when I saw kind of simultaneously on Sky Sports News last night that the Mags went one nil down and then Griggs' name come up. I was thinking, is this is this for real? Is this this is too good to be true? This, but yeah, obviously Grig Grig needed it. You could see it in his face. Didn't want to celebrate. I think it was a massive weight off his shoulders. But again, for that goal, it was a massive stroke of luck. It ricocheted off about four players. You know, good work in the build-up, don't get me wrong. But how many times have we said great build-up and no final product? Um, so, yeah, I think that was that was really lucky and really good. Uh, we needed it. I mean, imagine if he'd skied it over or something. Um, could have been a total different game. But I was just saying, having said that, you know, I think looking at the team sheet again, my opinion of the team sheet when I looked at it, again, was a similar, to, a similar one to Niles. I kind of thought to myself, I'm kind of glad there's not a stream. But at the same time, it looks promising from a strength point of view, a depth point of view, um, from the midfield upwards. You know, Dobson and McGeeck coming in, arguably, you know, two of our best centre midfielders. And it's we, we talk a lot about Jack Ross trying to get the right centre midfield partnerships. And 
you know, if he's happy with power and and um, and the the way that he's got it working at the minute with the team he's got it in with Ledbetter, that's fine. But uh, you know, it, it's the legs. I mean, I don't know what you think, Rich, because you were there. But judging it on Ledbetter and power and the legs that Ledbetter doesn't have alongside power and he's running around loads versus what were Dobson and McGeeck like as far as a partnership and their legs and their energy and how was it working? Did it work as well or better or worse than than uh, Ledbetter and Power? I have to say I was mightily impressed with the two of them as a pair. They seemed to work very closely together. They, they, they hunted in packs. They had to. It was a very high energy midfield. Obviously, um, we had all nine sitting in front of them. At times, he was playing as a, he was playing up front with Grig in a two. At times during that game, but obviously his you know his standard position was was slightly in front of the two of them. But I thought McGeoch was very 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 steady. He's an, he's the engine room in that lineup. He, he worked very well. He worked hard. He he was effective. We didn't give away a lot of fouls, which I was very impressed by. You know they were tenacious. They were getting their foot in. They weren't sloppy with it. You know, they weren't jumping in. Dobson looks a, a very, very good player, I have to say. I know he's got the pedigree coming through a couple of Premier League clubs before he was at Walsall. And I think you can, you can see that he's trained with at, at a good academy with some good players, with good coaches. He looks, he looks the real deal. In this league, I don't think you're going to find a better centre midfielder. And when he's driving forward, he looks very impressive as well. Um, obviously, the, the goal was a seriously top quality finish and a lovely little move. I mean, I, I couldn't quite believe it. I was watching Sunderland when when that corner came in and he flicked it out, and and then it was pinged in the corner. It was it was fantastic, and the crowd reacted to it, and it was fantastic to see at the end of the game the reaction that the crowd, the the travelling Sunderland fans gave to Dobson in particular. He was like last man off and he got a massive cheer after everyone else had had a massive cheer as well. You can see that that he's got he's getting the bug and he gets it. In a bit in the same way as when O nine came on and scored at, at Shrewsbury last season, it's when he seemed to get it. He got what playing for the club was about. He showed his passion. Um, so there's a, a, a similar one to that. Michael, what did you think of, of that forward line? Just echoing what the lads are saying there, actually, just a bit Greg as well. Just I'd say it must be an absolute relief for him to get that first goal this season. I was watching him there last weekend at the Wimbledon match, and I actually, you know, I actually felt sorry for him because there's a couple of times where he was just he was making the correct runs, he was doing everything right. He'd one serious chance there in the second half against Wimbledon, didn't he? When he got the ball, turned turned on his right foot open goal and he, he just blazed it over I was just thinking oh this chap is really like at the bottom of his confidence he's just um, I was just thinking this is just not going to be his season especially and with Charlie White the way the way Charlie White has started actually you're just thinking if White continues the way he was going there's probably going to be like very few opportunities for Greg to start matches uh, this season but just on top of that I was I don't know what you saw when you were at the game but when I was there I was watching uh, the highlights I saw I saw Gooch seemed to be playing quite well. He seemed to be getting a lot of ball and putting crosses into the box. I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of Lyndon Gooch's, but I actually think he's had a quite a good start to the season. He's been kind of driving at teams quite well, doing what he does best um, and getting some good crosses in, but I don't know what you thought about that. 
the things that stood out with Gooch last night were he was very tricky. He was trying. He was trying things that, again, maybe you might not see in a league game against, I don't know, Accrington away. He was um, he was trying to show his his ability on the ball, dribbling, and yeah, driving on. No, he, he looked he looked really good. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a Gooch fan, I have to say, but I know he divides opinion. I I, I like players with with work rate first and foremost, and I think you can, you you can't deny that he he gives his all. You know, he was involved in in the goal, the the, the second goal, getting the the shot where he he did he did pretty well. Uh, I have to say. And uh, on the other side, Embleton looks a player. Again, he wasn't involved quite as much as some of the other players like Dobson, but he, lo- he looks very good. I know he's very, very well thought of. And uh, I suspect that when um, Donald was talking about some of our young players who were the clubs were, you know, Premier League clubs were, were sniffing about in the summer, he might have been one of those because uh, he's, he's in the England set up, isn't he, in youth set ups. And, um, I think he's he's a he's a definite one who through the season could could actually be that that player who, who gives us a little bit extra off the bench even. And how Grigg looked last night was like someone who really wanted to take his opportunity. And actually again, someone and I think this goes for the whole team and the whole attitude to that game last night, which was that you've got eight lads there who were brought in who think that they should be playing in the first team every week. And they wanted to go and prove it. And Grigg was absolutely top of that list in terms of, again, work rate, fantastic. He was run, run the lines, he was getting some good positions. You know, he, he, he tried some things that didn't work. It was funny because before the match, when they were warming up, taking shots, not all of them, should we say, were going in from Grigg and some of them weren't getting on target. And uh, I think some of the fans were getting a bit nervous about him. Uh, and then when the ball fell to him, it wasn't immediately clear exactly how it got to him. So I think half the fans thought it might be offside, but obviously it was off the defender. And then he seemed to have, I thought for half a second, he's got too much time here, you know, but he picked his spot and he, he finished it. He finished it really well. Four nine had had not a disc or he had a chance not from a dissimilar position um, a little bit before that, but. I thought Grigg was really good when White came on. You know, he had a good he had a good fifteen minutes on the pitch and looked, as others have said, trim and fit and up for it and strong. And he was being fouled by their centre backs. Seems to be a consistent thing with Charlie White getting fouled and not getting not getting the, the decisions. And then O'Nine, who's my, my favourite player, he, he he had a good game. I don't think he's going to do enough to displace McGeady or Maguire from being the, the person sat behind the, the centre forward. But he looked like he wanted to play there. That That's obviously his natural position or where he's played before he volunteered to go in at right back. I would be very disappointed if I was him and I wasn't in the starting eleven against Peterborough. But I can see that McLaughlin has, has put down a, a, a bit of a marker there. As, as, a, as a right back in terms of just being steady away. Now, um, obviously, I was sat, sat at the back or standing at the back of the stand, uh, singing my heart out, so I might have missed a few bits and pieces of the game. But that was my overall impression of it, which was a, a very confident performance. And I was excited by it. And, and I think the, the problem of having two uh, winning teams to choose from 
you don't change a winning team, but Wham's only got two of them uh, that have won the last game. Uh, is is a good headache for Jack Ross to have going into Saturday. Just coming in on that, I think it's kind of a big headache for him, definitely, but also a little bit worrying. You've got to think about, I know I'm sounding quite negative when I talk like this, but you know, you've got to think about those that played really well, like you touched on it there. And some of them might not get a game on Saturday because of the league team that won last week, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thinking like a nine at right back, you know, if Conor, Conor Mack had a good game, is Ross going to shift into left back where he's been really poor because he's worried about Hume, even though Hume had a good game last night? Is um, Maguire fit or is he just playing mind games by Ross saying that he's picked up a knock and therefore if he isn't fit, is a nine going to play in that role and McGeady on the left? Have we got another winger? Would Embleton come in? Is McNulty fit yet? You know, there's all these questions and like all I'm thinking along the whole sort of like agenda of it all, if you can guarantee that John McLaughlin's coming back in, the two centre-backs will be replaced by Oz, Turk and Willis. Um, Where does Lynch come into that as well? And then you've got kind of everywhere else on the pitch, maybe White can obviously come straight back in as well, but everywhere else on the pitch, you're worrying about people who've played pretty well. And they're going to have heads dropping because they're out straight out of the team. Now, I know it's a squad game. We've got a load of different games coming up. But um, Dobson in particular, if you think he played really, really well and really got the bug for it and stuff like that, he's a 21-year-old lad. You know, I certainly want to be playing more often. I mean, we've seen we've seen Embleton's head drop a bit when he got dropped. And I just think, you know, there's a slight worry there that, yes, it's great having all these players that are winning and doing well. Is that something to worry about on top of it with the whole attitude side of things? Or will they just all get you know, get together as a squad. And I hope it's the latter. I hope it's they'll all just come together as a squad. They'll be happy in and out of the team and playing, you know, semi-regularly, um, knowing the injuries will come and stuff. But I, 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 I wouldn't want to be the one picking an 11 on Saturday. Definitely not. And what are your thoughts, Niall, on that? Yeah, um, it, it is. I, I totally agree with everything John said, to be honest. <clears throat> I, I don't think you can drop the team that won at Wimbledon. Um, I think the team, surely there must have been an understanding, the team which played last night, that it was their chance, but you know they're not going to drop the first team for the next game. I don't think anybody expected us to win the game how we did last night, and now it's happened. Obviously, I, I, I don't know what training tomorrow morning are the players going to be. You know, well, you know, I just marked two Premier League centre centre forwards last night and did really well, so. Surely I should be on the team sheet for next week. It's going to be horrible for Jack Ross, but this is where we'll see is you know how he is as a manager. This is you know the decisions he makes. For me personally, I think that Jordan Willis is our best centre half. I, I love the way he plays. I watched the game against Wimbledon on Saturday. I thought he, you know the way that he races out to win headers. You know, we don't have many centre-backs that do that. Like, we don't have many players that do that. And he, you know, he, he, you can see him racing for the ball and he just looks like he's always got that extra yard on, on strikers as well. Like, I don't know if that's just natural, but that that's the way it looks when you watch him. And he, he has to be in every team. And like you say, it, how can he drop Ozturk? He He's had a really good start. I, I totally agree with what John's saying. It, I'm glad I'm not Jack Ross when it comes to Saturday because it, it is going to be tough for him. But if it was me personally, yeah, I'd, I'd have to stick with the, with the team that played against Wimbledon on Saturday. I, I can't see, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to drop them lads um, because these lads were in 
because he didn't want to play them lads. So surely they would, they'll know that. You know, we will have injuries. It, you know, it's a full. It's, we're going to last last season. We played sixty two games. We're going to play a lot of games of football. And at the end of the day, we will have injuries. And these players, Jack Ross now knows, and they know that they will be first to call on when when needed when injuries come in. And and I think that's the mindset these players have to have because the first team's done so well so far. Yeah, you can't drop them. So for me personally, I, I, I think he's got to stick with the team that beat Wimbledon at the weekend. My opinion on, on sticking with teams is that it's a nice maxim, you know, I'll never change a winning team. But uh, my cliche is horses for courses, really. you got to look at the opposition and, you know, they've got all the stats, they've got all the analytics, you know, get the players in who are going to, going to win each game because we have got a lot of games and when Ross was interviewed on I think it was on Radio 5 last night after the match he was talking about the number of games we've got I would be I mean, personally I'm not a football manager we're all play football manager but I'm not a football manager but if I was say Max Power I would be worried about my place on Saturday I think as, as good as Power's been in the last couple of games I thought Dobson's performance last night was next level in terms of if you're going to look at somebody who, who won their place in the starting 11, you know, in, in for the league team, it, George Dobson was head and shoulders above probably, I'd say, any other player on the pitch last night because despite them having however many ex-England nationals in their squad, you know, and cost however many millions of quid, in the end, pretty roundly beaten by us second half they didn't offer anything and it was large part to do with how dominant our midfield was Michael what do what do you think about Saturday coming and the selection headache that he's got I would agree with the lads to be honest most in most of that that I wouldn't really be changing too much because the lads over the last few weeks that have been starting the Wimbledon game the Rochdale and the Pompey game have been quite consistent probably our best run of form now since the season started so be quite tough on the lads that have um, been starting those games to be taken out. But um, it's as the lads were saying, I, I don't envy Jack Ross in this situation because by the sounds of it now, I didn't see the whole game. But Dobson was excellent last night. O'Nine was really, really good behind the striker. I'm a massive fan of Mickey Ock, to be honest. And I just don't understand why he's not starting more games. If I was making a change, I'd probably bring Mickey Ock into uh, midfield. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly or not. Our Saturday coming, I think, could be potentially one of our toughest games so far this season as well, because I think over the last three games, Peterborough have scored eight or nine goals to beat MK Dons 4-0 away last week. And, you know, our favourite uh, rival player is Marcus Madison, it seems, with all the fans. And he seems to be in the form of his life at the moment. But selection-wise, I think I won't be changing too much for the weekend. But if I was if I was looking at a couple, you might be saying maybe, maybe McGeoch to come in, just that's more personal personal favouritism and I think to be honest there's not too much between uh, Hume and maybe Conor Mack in the left back as well I, I'm not a huge fan of Hume each, either yet but he's still a young lad like so maybe give him a couple more chances as well I, I wouldn't be uh, too against Denver Hume starting but about the game I think it's going to be a tough match it could be potentially without being negative could be potentially our first first defeat of the season I just worry about Peterborough they seem to always start really well they kind of fade off near the near after Christmas, but the way they've been playing the last few weeks, uh, I'd be worried about it, to be honest. Can I just add something that we haven't spoken about yet? The eternal question of Grant Ledbetter. And I just feel like, you know, what Michael was saying there struck a chord with me a bit. I love McGeek as well. And if he's played well last night and Dobson's played out of this world, 
talk about Max Power being scared of this position. The last few games, league games, I've not been a huge fan of Grant Letterbury. Loads of mistakes, loads of passes into nothing. So what does everybody think about Grant? Should we should we kick him out or what? Because we've got three players trying to play in that position. One one thing I think Ledbit has always had to his advantage is obviously his quality when it comes to delivering a set piece. And last night we, we had that. We we had the set pieces, we, we scored off two without him on park. So I mean I taught I taught my dad after every every match and uh, when I spoke to him last night he said, How was McGee off? And I said, Well, you know, he, he seemed to run the show and he said he does it every time he's on the pitch. And if he keeps doing it and and the feedback that we hear and, and from what I've seen, if he's doing it every time he's on the pitch and we've got doubts over Ledbit, I can see him taking his place. I don't think he'll stick with the team that beat Wimbledon. I think he'll go with Peterborough. But we'll see. So we're going to finish up there. And it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you listeners and to speak to John See you later, yeah, cheers, Rich. Cheers, Rich. Thanks very much. It's been a lovely pod. All the best for Saturday. Let's let's hope for a win. I'm sure we'll get an awesome win. You know, Michael's talking out of his ass really when it comes to Marcus Madison. He's rubbish. I hate him. No, he's probably going to score three past us now. I've said that. But well, yeah, cheers, well, cheers, Rich. <laughs> you're going to be there, so enjoy the match, man. Yeah, I'll try my best. And see you later, Michael. Cheers, mate. Enjoyed that. Hopefully, I'm wrong about Saturday anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, we've lost Niall, his phone died, and uh, his Wi-Fi isn't strong enough to, to keep this conversation going. So we've lost Niall, but uh, thanks to Niall Bromley over in Nice as well. That was the Rubber Report Exiles podcast. We'll speak to you again soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.